Hey guys, Bill here. We're going to get to the show with Dan Graziano talking about the NFL draft and these upcoming fifth year options for some critical players in a moment. But first, wanted to remind you, in case you have forgotten, to tune into The Last Dance, a behind the scenes look at the 1990s Chicago Bulls dynasty. The first four episodes have been awesome, and the series continues this Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And on top of that, if you're not getting enough Last Dance in those two hours, you can listen to the wrap-up podcast hosted by Jalen and Jacoby immediately following the broadcast, presented by State Farm and AT&T. That and the Bill Barnwell Show, of course, are also available wherever you enjoy your podcast. So subscribe to those, and let's get on with today's show. All right, joined now on the show, as promised, by our good friend from ESPN, it's Mr. Dan Graziano. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well, Bill. How are you doing? I am good. You were a busy man over the past week. Not only were you helping out with ESPN's draft coverage, you were also grading everybody's backdrop during the NFL Nation <laughs> mock draft. Briefly, Didn't before get we get into... finish. I know. Well, you know, news broke. Unfortunately, that's why you want to. Yeah. It's why you want to be covering one of the teams who have a high pick. You don't know it's going to break halfway through the nation mock draft. Um, let me ask you this: Ask someone who not only cultivated your own backdrop, but also who was evaluating everyone else's backdrop. If you're someone who wants to build an NFL A plus caliber backdrop, what has to be in there from your perspective? You got it. I think the the way to go is is bookshelf. Well, look, I mean, Cameron Wolf uh, blew it all, everybody out of the water because he did his on a beach, which sure. uh, you know, whatever. But you know, every, some people have weapons, others don't have. Uh, but I think that what they like is the bookshelf. And your bookshelf. You got to be careful about the books, though, right? When I mean, we had one guy who had football for dummies there on his bookshelf, you just ask him for trouble. Like people are going to fire on you for that, like whether you deserve it or not. So. Um, yeah, I mean, we had a, I have a football on mine that they, that had NFL draft logo. I think we all got those, you know, for NFL hits before the draft to advertise it. But, um, yeah, I think for me, it's been a challenge because I spent most of my career covering baseball and, uh, you know, I some guys who played football can put, you know, footballs that they got that were noteworthy occasions and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find more football. But, uh, yeah, you'll you'll see every now and then a couple little home touches. I think you have to have, like, a curiosity or two that somebody will ask you about, right? Like, that, mm-hmm. that means something to you but wouldn't necessarily mean something to a viewer unless they found it out. So to make you look authoritative but also enough to keep the viewer curious. Let me ask you, you said Cameron Wolf was on the beach, which was, hey, that's a great look. Would it have been better if he had brought a bookshelf to the beach and done it behind a bookshelf? No, bookshelf no. on a beach is always inappropriate. Like, you know, what I, mean? You, I mean, you read on a beach, but you yeah. don't bring the shelf. You just bring like a paperback book. You don't mind if it gets wet, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But uh, yeah, no, bookshelf on a beach, that would have looked really weird, I think, just okay, for me. As a I, I self-proclaimed just... background expert, which is, uh, that's the only authority I have is my self-proclamation. I have no reason to think otherwise. I mean, I agreed with your grades. I thought it was, you know, a very solid performance, so... I was happy to see it. I'm thinking about my own bookshelf, my own situation. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take your tips to heart in the months to come. I just got to find some stuff that uh, is going to stand out besides just, you know, old football books, unfortunately. Um, we have a lot to talk about today. A lot of stuff happened. The NFL draft happened. In some ways, I felt like a very straightforward draft. I think we saw a lot of players kind of 
you know, go where we expected. Not a ton of surprises, not many trades, but we're going to talk about a couple of the more controversial drafts to start here. And I think the most controversial draft, the, the draft that I think, you know, ha- has caused the most consternation from its fan base has to be the Green Bay Packers, where you trade yeah. up, you draft Jordan Love at 29, you take a running back in A.J. Dillon in the second round. So, I mean, let's start with the Packers. Are, are you surprised, first off, that they didn't add more help for Aaron Rodgers in terms of receivers? And do you think they should have? Yeah. Um, the Packers' money is where their mouth is, right? They, they consider themselves um, a long-term focused team when it comes to the draft. They believe that drafting for immediate help can create more problems than it solves. Uh, Brian Gutekunst, excuse me, their general manager, said on Thursday night, you can make a lot of mistakes thinking you're one player away. So they, they certainly uh, backed that up. You know, you go into this draft thinking, well, the Packers need receiver help. Well, what a great receiver draft. They'll surely get one. 36 receivers get picked, and they don't take any of them. So obviously they like what they have. They just went 13-3 and and got to the NFC Championship game and believe they can continue to build out the offense that it'll take uh, more strides forward in Matt LaFleur's second year. Uh, But, boy, they better be right because if they don't, if they struggle, and if the defense comes back to earth a little bit and they they don't go back to the playoffs, uh, then they're going to take a lot of hits from their fan base saying, well, why didn't you – try and maximize what's left of Aaron Rodgers' window as opposed to thinking about what lies beyond. Obviously, the Packers' answer would be, like, you always have to be thinking about what lies beyond. But we have a quarterback in Jordan Love that we really, really like as a long-term prospect. To not get him would have been irresponsible because maybe in three or four years, Aaron Rodgers is gone. Now we don't have an answer. So uh, that's their perspective. That's their answer to the criticism. I respect Brian Gutekunst for first standing up for his convictions and, and, and answering all the questions and taking all the hits. But uh, they believe themselves. Uh, look, I mean, A.J. Dillon, the running back in the second round, Aaron Jones has one year left on his contract. Are they going to extend Aaron Jones? Probably not. They have other extensions they need to do that are higher priority items. They have a running back that can maybe take over for him in a year when, and he's already had a year in your system. The other thing, Bill, to keep in mind, a lot of teams – are very concerned about rookies this year because we don't know what the offseason is going to look like. The, mm-hmm. the, the teaching time and the preparation time for rookies is going to be totally different and probably insufficient as a result of the restrictions on the offseason program. So drafting for immediate help may not be the best bet. And if you're looking at it, well, this is a guy who's going to help us over the next two or three years or four or five years, that may be the smarter way to go in this particular weird season. The weird thing about this to me is that if this were a different football team, if this were the Saints, I would sit here and say, hey, yeah, you know what? Drew Brees is playing great, and and mm-hmm. you you know, you know have to maximize his window, want to win a Super Bowl. I, I see why you'd want to draft a wide receiver instead of a quarterback. The one fan base that should feel pretty comfortable with the idea of taking a quarterback when nobody's expecting and at the end of the first round not adding talent to a 36-year-old quarterback coming off of a playoff uh, a, a playoff situation a year ago and seeing how it might benefit them down the line should be the Green Bay Packers because that's exactly what they right. did 
in, I believe it was 2004, if I'm not mistaken, but you draft, right. or just five, just five. You draft Aaron Rodgers when he falls to at the end of the first round. Uh, they didn't trade up, but they, granted it was a fourth round pick. It wasn't like it was an enormous haul to move up this year, but they draft Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre, you know, could have used another weapon, could have used another receiver. Uh, they, they make it to the NFC championship game a couple of years later, lose to the Giants, but Aaron Rodgers comes in and hey, you know, that, that worked out pretty well, all things considered. So, um, it, it seems like, whether it's recency bias, whether it's not thinking about the past, or whether it's just, you know, thinking this situation is different, it seems like, you know, that scenario, even though on, in some ways it feels similar to me, does not ring true to Packers fans with this particular uh, exchange. You know, one of the concerns is how is Aaron Rodgers going to take it, right? And um, what we know about Aaron Rodgers is if he feels slighted, you know, we're going to know about it. And, um, and it's entirely possible he feels that way. Why didn't you get me more help? He didn't sign anybody in free agency either. Devin Funches, but you know, we don't know what he's got coming off a major injury. Right. Um, so, but yeah, the flip side is exactly what you're saying. This is how Aaron Rodgers got into the league. <laughs> this is exactly his entry point, uh, you know, 15 years later. So look, I, I think it's going to come down. To, and this is a, this is an obvious, you know, cop out. It's going to come down to how they play. I mean, like if they win again and they go back to the playoffs and they make a Super Bowl run, then no one's going to care that they didn't take a wide receiver in this year's draft. But if they don't, if they take a step back, if we're looking three or four years down the road and we say, you know, 2020 was their best chance. They were mm-hmm. coming off a big year, augment the roster, go for it with Rodgers, and they didn't do it, and now he ends up with just the one Super Bowl after his incredible career, then we're going to look back and say, well, maybe it was a mistake. But um, as of right now, they are banking on a roster that just went 13-3 and and a coaching staff that was new last year and, and you know, ideally will – uh, will have more to offer in the second year. I mean, they were great, obviously, but, you know, with second year with a new coaching staff uh, can usually be even better than the first. So that, that's what they're counting there in Green Bay. And, uh, you know, Bill, when I was, I, I was at their training, they were one of my training camp stops last year. And I was talking mm-hmm. to Gutekunst and asking him what he liked about Matt LaFleur as a head coach. And he said, you know, we thought he'd be the, the right guy for us, not just short-term with Aaron but also long-term and what we want to do here in terms of developing quarterbacks. So that came back to me, obviously, on Thursday night because right. uh, that, that, that they, they took a quarterback they're, they're going to try and develop. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of organization. I, I, since 1959, the Packers head coach has had an average tenure of six years. That's wow. pretty long. And that even counts Ray Rhodes, who was only there one year. So mm-hmm. take him out and it goes up to six and a half. They are always thinking – in longer chunks than just one year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess it also depends on how Jordan Love turns out. And I think there are some questions sure. about, you know, Jordan Love's aptitude or whether he's going to be an NFL quarterback. But at this point, we don't know. I, I just don't think we have any information that's going to tell us one way or another. And if, you know, the floor ends up being a, a productive quarterback developer, well, he'll probably turn out pretty good. And I guess the other thing is that comes to mind for me is, we still have some off season to go. And I understand you, you know, you might want a rookie in the draft, a first round pick at receiver could help, but you know, you did mention that thing about how we don't know how rookies are going to be developing, um, without a, you know, possibly mini camp, without possibly training, uh, a full training camp or a standard training camp or a standard preseason. You know, I wonder if they go out and, and get a veteran 
um, to supplement that roster. I look at Kenny Stills, who's now the fourth receiver in Houston, who has a uh, as eight million dollars coming to him. I don't want to step into the mind of Bill O'Brien and try to apply my logic because I know that's not going to work out for me. But you know, I, I don't think I'd want to pay my fourth whiteout eight million dollars and. You know, there could be a fit there. There are some guys who are going to be cut as the offseason goes on because uh, you're going to see a lot of the rookie receivers, you know, start, start start getting meaningful roles on NFL depth charts. Guys will get cut. Guys will get traded. We know that there's always going to be unexpected players coming open. But the thing I think about at the end of the day is that the problem with this team wasn't the offense. It wasn't, you know, how the offense looked. I mean, they were, I believe, eighth in offensive DVOA and 15th in defensive DVOA. And, you know, throw the numbers out. Think about the NFC Championship game. It was the offense wasn't the problem. It was the defense getting run over and assaulted by the Niners' running game. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I look at this this draft and I think, okay, well, if you wanted to add someone that was going to make a difference immediately in the first round, it probably should have been a defensive player as opposed to another receiver for Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, look, the, you can even simplify it further. The problem for the Packers last year wasn't the offense or the defense. It was the 49ers. I mean, they, yeah. their defense played very well over the second half of the season, except when they played the 49ers, who scored 37 points on them in the regular season and then another 37 on them in the NFC Championship game. So they, they were able – I mean, their defense – they added a lot to the defense last year, and, and that was – a big part of their success sure. while the offense was sort of finding its footing. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you can, you can absolutely look at almost any, you know, perceived weak spot on the Packers roster and say they should have addressed it in the draft. And, and, and the way most people look at the draft, yes, of course they should have. But the way the Packers look at the draft is not, we have this need, we have to fill it in the draft. It's how do we build so that not only are we a contender this year, but we're still a contender five years from now, mm-hmm. 10 years from now, et cetera. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, at the end of the first day, Packers fans are fuming, got to figure their NFC rivals, uh, their fan bases are all laughing at Packers fans. Oh, we know what we're doing. We don't mm-hmm. have quarterbacks. And then the Eagles in the second round decided to draft Jalen Hurts. And this has made Eagles fans furious. Not, not everyone, not every Eagles <laughs> fan, but a lot of Eagles fans are very upset with this organization for drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round. Now, they, they did get their wide receivers. They drafted Jalen Rager in the first round. John Hightower later on. They traded for Marquis Goodwin. They added the speed that they kind of came into this draft, everyone thinking they were going to add those receivers and that depth for Carson Wentz. But why are Eagles fans so upset that they drafted a quarterback in the second round in Jalen Hurts? And where do you fall? Was that a good decision by the Eagles? Or was it, you know, uh, trying to be too smart for their own good in some ways? Well, I think that not to not to assume, but my, my guess is, my perception is that the reason the fans would be upset about this is because they would feel that that pick could have been used on someone to help the team in the short term, right? Like the same thing with Jordan Love and the Packers. I don't think Packers fans would have mind if they take Jordan Love in the fifth round, but taking him in the first round, you, you're, you're presumably passing on someone that could help make you better right now. And I think that in the second round, that's still the perception. So if fans are upset about the Hurts pick, it's because, hey, why didn't we pick whoever was still there that could have been a benefit to this year's team, next year's team, et cetera. So in terms of picking him there, it, it, as we were headed toward the draft, it started to sound like if you wanted Jalen Hurts in the third round, you might be out of luck. Like there were a lot of teams that were, that were interested in him, maybe late second, early third round. So when he went off the board at that point in the draft, I wasn't surprised by 
sort of the range in which he was drafted. Obviously, it's a surprise that a team that has Carson Wentz under contract to the extent that the Eagles do would take a quarterback that high. But uh, talking to people around that organization, it sounds like they want to do at least maybe try to do something similar to what the Saints are doing with Taysom Hill in terms of using the guy in a utility role. He can throw a pass for you, but he's also a threat with his legs, uh, et cetera. Um, We can go back and forth on whether he's the same kind of player Taysom Hill is. Uh, Hill, I believe, ran faster at the combine, et cetera. But, you know, they think that Hurts can be that in the short term. And then, you know, look, Doug Peterson comes from Andy Reid, right? I mean, Andy Reid would always almost – it's always seemed like he had a quarterback in development, right? And even when he had a starter, like, well, we'll develop this quarterback as a backup and see what we have. Maybe he's a trade chip for us. Maybe he's a replacement down the road. And then the the final thing is, you know, putting it – uh, as kindly as I can, you know, Carson Wentz is not a 16-game-a-year guy. I mean, he's, right. he's been hurt. He's missed games. And uh, you have to factor that in when you're making your quarterback plans. Is, is Carson Wentz always going to be a guy who's a threat to time uh, because of injury? And if that's the case, obviously it behooves you to be as deep as possible at that position. So just like with the Packers and Jordan Love, if you have a guy who's there that plays that position and you believe he's going to be a good NFL quarterback – you, you probably have to take him because there's no value like having a young quarterback on his rookie deal. That, that's the that's the ultimate currency in the league. Yeah, and I mean, when it comes to that backup quarterback situation, we know the Eagles have placed an enormous priority even before Carson Wentz uh, on having a solid backup quarterback. Even, you know, going back to the Andy Reid days, and then with Howie Roseman uh, signing Chase Daniel and having Sam Bradford, and then. Uh, drafting right. Wentz and, and, and keeping Daniel around and then, then signing Nick Foles to kind of a big deal, which obviously turned out to be, you know, a, a, a Super Bowl saving contract in the long run. And then, um, you know, last year their their team fell apart in the playoffs because Carson Wentz got hurt. And then uh, our, our colleague at the time, Josh McCown, came in and um, tore his hamstring. They were almost, you know, about to play Greg Ward as their emergency quarterback uh, in, in a playoff game. And, you know, I, I, they don't have the cap space to go out and compete for a Marcus Mariota or, you know, even trade for a Nick Foles, given what Nick Foles is making on his deal. They had to get an option here on the cheap. So you either are going to be stuck with a guy who is, you know, pretty mediocre and not someone who's going to actually push the uh, ball forward, or you're going to be using a, a premium pick on a quarterback who's going to be playing a role. And I think, you know, if you don't need Jalen Hurts, if you don't end up using him for four years because he's a, you know, because uh, Carson Wentz is healthy, great. That's a good thing. Like, you know, you don't want to yes. have to use Jalen Hurts unless you have to. But I, I do think at the end of the day that they're going to find a short-term role where Jalen Hurts is useful. And then I think the, the ability to have him a, a, as your primary backup quarterback if Carson Wentz does get hurt is really valuable. And I, honestly, getting back to the Packers thing quickly, you know, We've had these conversations about, oh, well, Jordan Love's going to sit on the bench for two years. Aaron Rodgers is not always the healthiest guy either. He's missed time. You know, he's missed half a season here and there. So you might have a situation where, you know, instead of going to a Brett Hundley like they did in years past, um, you know, you can go to a Jordan Love. And suddenly that is maybe a quarterback who can win you a few games while Aaron Rodgers is injured. So uh, I, I have to admit that, you know, I understand wanting to fill a need. I understand wanting to supplement your roster. But I think quarterback was a need for the Eagles and especially a quarterback who can, you know, who can fill in credibly if, and perhaps when Carson Wentz does get hurt. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, look, what we should always caution against like taking 
what's being said on social media and assuming it's the opinion of the entire fan base, sure. right? Like that's, but, you know, if, if Eagles fans are upset with this pick, then I would say who, what fan base knows better the value of a reliable backup quarterback than the Eagles who won a Super Bowl because of it. So, like, to me, I guess you can argue is Hurts really that, and could he develop into that? He probably won't be this year. But, you know, teams, teams are going to be more willing to carry three quarterbacks this year because mm-hmm. rosters are going to be expanded. So there's that, uh, including game day rosters. And, uh, and you know, again, I go back to what Gudikins was saying before the Packers even drafted. If you have a guy you believe in, you think is going to be a good quarterback in the NFL, you have to take him no matter where your franchise is because mm-hmm. it's just too hard to win without them. Yeah, I mean – you know, there were some questions, not a lot. I think the, the Chiefs fans are ready to move on or ready to make a change, but there were absolutely people who questioned the Patrick Mahomes trade when it happened. I think I was one of them where I said, you know what? Sure. I, you know, you have a, a, a team that's pretty close to winning a Super Bowl that, that, you know, seems to be running into the Patriots every year. Why not add that one extra piece and see if you can win with Alex Smith, who had a really good year? Um, you know, had a pretty good year the year before and then had an even better year that first year when Mahomes was on the bench and, you know, look what the Chiefs did. Like, it worked out pretty well in the long run. So I think if you have that guy you feel really confident about where you can actually see him, you know, being a difference maker for your organization, adding a quarterback is just so valuable that it, it, it kind of overcomes a lot of, you know, your ability to add guys elsewhere. And especially if you're a team and, and you're sitting there looking, oh, here's who's available at this point in the draft. Well, who do we like? Well, I mean, you know, this group of people that are in this zone, like, they don't really do anything for me. Like, I'm no offense to any of them, but I'm not really excited about taking this guy with my second round pick, my third round pick, my first round pick, in the case of the Packers. Uh, so what, what, what about a quarterback? I mean, that's where the, that's where the real value lies. So why don't we do that and then circle back in the next round and see if the group that's available there uh, gets us any more excited. But yeah. And then you get to a team that maybe controversially did not add a quarterback in this year's draft. The New England Patriots, who did draft two tight ends. They did draft a versatile safety in Kyle Duggar. They had Bill Belichick's dog, Nike, pop up for a mm-hmm. uh, a instant classic of a draft moment, oh. but did not draft a single quarterback. Signed a guy or two, I believe, as undrafted free agents, but did not materially impact Jared Stidham's role as the primary quarterback for the 2020 New England Patriots. So, Dan, let me ask you, do you think there is another move coming that's actually going to materially impact this roster? Or do you think this is just it? I think Bill Belichick doesn't know yet. And I think the reason is that he's a guy that always has multiple paths available to him. And I think, you know, he... Yeah, was was drafting a quarterback one of those paths? Sure, but that's now closed. He didn't do it. So what what's left? Do you trade for Andy Dalton? Do you sign Cam Newton? Do you wait it out? Do you see what happens in terms of offseason and who becomes available in June, July, August? Absolutely. But they do really like Jared Stidham. Obviously, I mean, I so. <laughs> the fact that they didn't draft a quarterback supports that. You know, even if you don't, if you're not inclined to believe it, uh, they, they, they supported that claim with, with the fact that they didn't draft one. So, and then, you know, back to what we've said earlier, like draft a quarterback, put him in your system in this off season, no idea how ready he's going to be versus Stidham, who was in your program last year, probably a lot better bet to be, in, be good for you than the quarterbacks that they probably could have selected where they 
we're drafting. And so I think, yeah, I think what Belichick, what Belichick's going to do is a, a mystery as it usually is, <laughs> but he, what we do know about him is he perceives the player acquisition phase of the off season to be very long. Yes. He doesn't think it's just March and April. Uh, and he will probably better than anyone monitor the availability of various players. You know, you talked about the Packers still being in position to maybe add a receiver as the off season goes on. There's no question the Patriots are going to be in that same kind of zone, not in terms of just quarterback, but also receiver and other positions that they, they might need. So, uh, yeah, I, I just I just feel like it's easy to sit here and bang on their roster right now, and it doesn't look very good. But I think it's foolish to um, to think that Belichick can't possibly figure this out. Yeah, he's a pretty smart guy. So, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't rule it out, but, you know, I, I just I, – I guess I sort of figured something would happen by now. You know, if you'd asked me – if you told me in, uh, you know, February, hey, Tom Brady's leaving – what is the Patriots quarterback situation going to look like by the end of the draft? I would have figured we would know who the starting quarterback was going to be. And yeah. that's not the case. So, I mean, you know, I certainly going to be options. Cam Newton is still out there. Um, you know, Andy Dalton is most likely going to be a free agent. There's not any other starting quarterback job available. There's you know a few teams who need backups still for sure, but not a lot of backup jobs out there. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be fascinating. You know, it really is going to be, uh, you know, interesting to see who actually is starting for that team week one. And I, you know, I, I still think it, it's probably going to be Jared Sidham until we see otherwise. Yes, I think at this point you have to take them seriously. I mean, look, if Sidham gets hurt or has some kind of setback in his development, you know, they could go with Brian Hoyer. He knows how to run the offense. Like, he's, <laughs> he absolutely does. So mm-hmm. I guess the question is the Patriots is like, what are they going to be? Right, if, if they don't drastically improve the roster, especially on the offensive side, is this their rebuilding year? Like, do you pick the Bills to win the East? Like, this is this going to be very interesting to see how this comes together. And again, bad guy to bet against is is Bill Belichick. But uh, certainly, the way last season ended and everything that's happened since makes you feel less confident about the Patriots than you have in what twenty years. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, going back to yeah, 2000, I would say 2001 maybe would be the last time you'd be this skeptical of the Patriots. But we will see a really fascinating uh, rest of the offseason to come for the Patriots. Still some moves to happen there. Another situation, another group of moves that are going to happen over the next week or two are the fifth-year options. And I know you're writing about this for ESPN later this week. Wanted to talk to you about mm, about a dozen of these sort of borderline fifth-year options. I mean, we don't have to talk about Patrick Mahomes. We don't have to talk about uh, Taco Charlton. We, we know we know some guys are going to picked up. We know some guys are not getting picked up. The guys in the middle, I think, are the interesting ones. So I'm going to ask you about them. We'll go from the top of the draft down to the bottom. Just want to get your thoughts on, you know, um, what these teams are thinking, how likely it is that they get picked up, and, you know, what, what might change in the weeks to come. Let's start with the, you know, maybe the biggest name, in this group, Mitch Trubisky of the Chicago Bears. How do you handle this situation if you're Ryan Pace? It, this is it's the toughest one. I mean, because the option is almost $25 million. Yeah. Now, this is the last draft class, as you know, Bill, that, for which the option is only injury guaranteed at the time it's exercised. So you could, if you're the Bears, pick up Trubisky's option, and then if he doesn't show you what he needs to show you, you could rescind it before next March, and you're not on the hook for anything. Unless he gets hurt. And then that reminds you of the RG3 year, right? When Washington picked up his option and then left him inactive for all 16 games because they didn't want him to get hurt. Um, 
you could be in a situation like that with Trubisky. Now, uh, or you could turn the option down and say, look, Mitch, this is it. You know, earn your money. And then next year at this time, you could be in a position where you have to pay him $30 million a year coming off a big year. That would be um, the ideal situation, I guess, if you're the Bears, is Trubisky blossoms this year. The trade for Nick Foles makes me think that uh, it's less likely that they pick up the option because they, they're obviously thinking about a situation in which Trubisky is not the answer. And if they're in that place, finally – then that probably indicates that you don't want to pick up an option, even if it's only injury guaranteed for that much money and, and then be at risk of having that much committed to a guy that, you know, you don't feel good about using. So I would bet that they don't do it, but it's absolutely no, no sure thing. I, I think it could, it could absolutely go either way. Uh, but I, I would say at this point, it seems less likely uh, that they do it than, than that they do. One data point. That stands out as interesting to yeah. me when it comes to Ryan Pace specifically is Cal Fuller, a guy who was drafted yeah. before, I believe, Ryan Pace got there, struggled with injuries, did not play well. Nobody was expecting his option to get picked up, and it didn't. I'm not faulting Ryan Pace for not picking up his option, but something clicked. Cal Fuller had a very good year under Vic Fangio. Um, they end up having to transition tag him and then sign him to a pretty big extension. He still has one of the top uh, contracts for cornerbacks. And, hey, he had a very good year in 2019 or 2018. Not so good last year, kind of more mediocre last year. But, you know, a guy who they've wanted to keep around. So I wonder if that makes him more hesitant to decline an option knowing, hey, if this guy does break out, we're going to have to pay, you know, top dollar money to keep him around. Right. Now, it may be that they don't care about that, right? right. I mean, the uh, in the case of Fuller, he earned his money and he got his money, and that may be an example that uh, that they lean on and say, well, if the same thing happens with Trubisky, great. We'd be, we'd be more than happy to pay Trubisky top quarterback money if he is a top quarterback, which, of course, they thought he would be when they took him second overall. But um, I think what's fascinating is because of the way that fifth-year options are calculated, Trubisky's number is considerably higher than Deshaun Watson's. Because Watson yes. wasn't in the in the top ten, so the Texans are going to get Deshaun Watson for twenty twenty one a lot cheaper than the Bears would get uh, Trubisky and uh, a quirk of the system that's that's uh, gone by the wayside with next mm-hmm. year's uh, option decisions. But uh, but yeah, I think that's it's a tricky one for the Bears. And you know, if he do, if if Pace declines the option, certainly the takeaway will be Pace is admitting a mistake uh, and uh, and and saying that Trubisky's not the guy long term, and he's going to have to obviously answer those questions absolutely uh solomon thomas of the niners a, a one of their talented defensive linemen but a guy who has not necessarily broken out the way they would have expected yeah. i think you know uh six sacks total in three seasons they just paid eric armstead obviously they have some heavy commitments on that side of the ball d ford uh nick bosa is two years away from, from being eligible for an extension, but obviously he looks like a cornerstone piece on that defense. Look, they love right. to be deep at that defensive line position. They draft the defensive lineman in the first round almost literally every single year, and they did again this year. I would say no on Solomon Thomas. doesn't seem like he's been productive enough to warrant it, and um, they have other options in terms of keeping that monster defensive front intact. Yeah, a team that did use a first-round pick on a defensive tackle uh, during the draft on Thursday. So you know, the Niners seem to be preparing for a long-term future, at least without Solomon Thomas. Leonard Fournette, um, a guy who 
even if it's not necessarily the fifth year option, it seems like the Jaguars are trying to move on from, uh, according to yeah. recent reports. Yeah, Schefter reported last week they're trying to trade him. That always makes me think that the guy's probably going to end up getting released. Right. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Fournette had a very productive year. He went over 1,100 rushing yards. He had 76 catches. Um, but the relationship with the team has been rocky at best. And, yes. uh, and from what we're hearing inside that building, he's not uh, probably going to be part of their long-term plans. I'd be surprised if they picked up the option. Do you think he is on the roster week one if they don't find a trade candidate? Or a trade option? I mean, he's not expensive, right? Yeah. What's he going to make this year? A couple million dollars? Like, not, you know, so, yeah, maybe. I mean, they, if, they, if they're sick of him, then they'll cut him, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, we'll see the extent to which that's the case. Remember, he was a Tom Coughlin draft pick, and Coughlin's not mm-hmm. there anymore. So it may be that the people making that decision aren't as big a fan of Fournette as a player mm-hmm. uh, as, as the others are. But, I mean, it's a fully guaranteed salary of, Almost four point two million dollars. So right. cutting him would be, you know, would be quite a st- be quite a statement about how you feel about. It. Right, exactly. Um, what about Corey Davis, the wide receiver for Tennessee? I couldn't figure this one out, and I, I haven't been able to. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get good information on it. But uh, you know, fifth pick overall, you're looking at almost sixteen million dollar option for twenty twenty one. Which isn't even a top ten wide receiver salary anymore, but um, yeah, I, I think with AJ Brown having come on, with some other you know financial commitments that they have to think about, I, I think you know probably not on Corey mm-hmm. Davis. Just hasn't played the way that they would have expected him to play as the number five overall pick. And honestly, if you decline the option and he plays lights out this year and hits his potential, you know. Are you going to end up paying him a whole lot more than $16 million next year? Sure, because you'd be signing him and you'd have a signing bonus. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you could probably get him for something like 18 19 a year in the, in the absolute most amazing scenario for him. And, uh, and so I think you're not risking much by declining this option. Yeah, and I think you run into sort of a Vikings problem here where we know Tennessee wants to be a run-first football team. We know that that's going to be their offensive identity. They've paid the offensive lineman. And, hey, now you've paid Ryan Tannehill, you know, $32 million a year or something in that range. So now you're paying your quarterback a lot. And you have used a top-five pick on a wide receiver in Corey Davis. You have a second-round pick, I believe, on A.J. Brown, but a guy who's going to be a bargain, but he's going to get a contract, you know, in the next couple of years. Um, Do you want to be a team that's going to be committing – you know, $18 million a year to a wide receiver, maybe 15 to A.J. Brown or, you know, more in A.J. Brown on an extension. Yeah. Are you going to be a team that pays your wide receivers and your quarterback when you really want to be a run-first football team? There seems to be that sort of, you know, there, there just doesn't seem to add up to me that you would pay a wide receiver that much money when he's going to be your second target or third target in a run-first offense. Yeah, and I think it's a player they like. I just, I think when you look at the number and you look at all the stuff you laid out and the emergence of A.J. Brown last year, I just think it's it's probably not the right move to pick that option up. Make him, make him play for it. And if he does, great. Then you have a decision to make whether you want to keep him and, you know, and pay him that much or more. Yeah, on a run of uh, top 10 wide receivers, Mike Williams of the Chargers. Yeah, he had the highest yards per catch in the league last year, the 20.4. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, he was... But only two touchdowns. Very weird year for Mike Williams, yes. as uh, I'm sure fantasy players know. Um, but, uh, yeah, he I, I think they probably picked this one up. I, I, they, they do like him a lot. And, um, you know, they have they have a lot of money in Keenan Allen. But, you know, you, t- you start looking at are you going to be transitioning to 
Justin Herbert as your long-term quarterback? If that mm-hmm. happened this year, does it happen in 2021? If so, is Mike Williams a guy you want to have around for the benefit of that young quarterback? I, I think he's a coaching staff's definitely high on him. The same administration there that drafted him. I think it, it's another borderline one, like you say, but I would lean yes on it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think you're going to want to add weapons for Justin Herbert. Um, even if the the fifth-year number is not necessarily all that exciting, maybe you work out an extension. Maybe you say, hey, you know, right. you're not going to get, you know, $18 million on the open market right now, but let's try and work out a deal where, you know, we get you on a long-term deal for a smaller salary. It could make sense for both sides there with Mike Williams. You know, having that one real breakout year last year with 1,001 yards and the sort of inconsistency of touchdowns, 10 touchdowns in 2018 on 43 receptions and then two last year uh, on 49 receptions. So you figure somewhere in the middle for him uh, in yeah. 2020. Um, with the Bengals, a team that did draft T. Higgins with the first pick of the second round. Of course, you want to add weapons for Joe Burrow, but what about John Ross, the oft-injured uh, receiver from Washington? Yeah, I can't imagine him picking this one up. And the example I go back to here is Sammy Watkins in Buffalo. And, and he was a top 10 pick and his option was not picked up. And the reason was they couldn't trust him to stay healthy. So you pick up a $16 million option on John Ross, he gets hurt as he has every single year. Now you're on the hook for it. And it's a player that you can't trust to stay healthy. So this to me looks like a classic case of, you know, we're, we're going to pick up, we're, we're going to decline the option because we can't trust this player to stay healthy. And honestly, he hasn't been, you know, he hasn't been super productive. He's he's shown some flashes, but given the health concerns, given what else they have invested at the position, you know, a lot of money in Tyler Boyd, et cetera, mm-hmm. I, I would think this is a pretty easy one to turn down. Do you think that the Bengals are, are, are sort of at a place where they're expecting A.J. Green to still sign an extension with the team? I think they are expecting A.J. Green to be on this year's team. Now, I think what we've heard from A.J. Green is, you know, he's not necessarily that upset with the franchise number. I mean, at his age, it's not crazy to go year to year. I'm not sure what he's going to get if he goes on the open market at this point. So mm-hmm. their plan is to keep him. They would sign him if they could. I don't think they're going to you know, blow out the budget for it. I don't think he's going to get Amari Cooper money, you know, Julio Jones money. But I think if he would do a deal that, you know, was around – what the franchise number is, and maybe it was a short-term deal that they, they would do it, but there haven't been any kind of significant discussions on that front. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, with the Eagles, we know they love defensive linemen. What about Derek Barnett? The sense I get out of there is that they'll probably pick it up. I, I think they see him as a guy that's coming on. He had a good year in terms of sacks last year. You know, he made a big play for them in the Super Bowl. I mean, that's a couple of years ago, but it, you know, it matters in terms of how an organization perceives yeah. you. Um, when you associate people with, with that level of success. So, uh, yeah, I think he probably gets picked up as a player that they feel like is coming into his own as a pass rusher and, and is, is on the upswing. Yeah, and I think we, once you get out of the top 10, of course, it is a much smaller figure right. for these players, and Derek Barnett is 14. So everyone from here on out is going to be at a much smaller fifth-year option figure than those guys you mentioned who are in the top 10, Trubisky uh, through John Ross. One guy I really can't pin down – for Tennessee, uh, the other first-round pick from that year's draft, Dory Jackson, a guy who I thought mm. looked maybe most impressive as a rookie. So, what do you what do you hear about, or what do you think about his chances of having his fifth-year option picked up? I think more likely than not, mm-hmm. but it's another real borderline case for me. 
And he's been a big helper for them in the return game. Not that you want to pay a cornerback salary to a guy, you know, who's more of a returner for you. But just looking at the roster, they they made a pick in the second round, Christian Fulton at cornerback, but they're not like super deep there. So my sense is that he'll have an opportunity to perform and produce in that role as a cornerback for them this year. Uh, And if he does well, then certainly the the option would, would make some sense. And considering that he helps in other areas, you can kind of convince yourself, oh, it's worth it because, you know, he's an overall helper. So I think that's a real tough call. Uh, I went for I, – I, my prediction was yes, based on what I've heard and, and what makes sense, but uh, I, I think that one could go either way for sure. Yeah, I wonder if the decision to move on from Logan Ryan sort of tips their hand there where they don't want to commit big money to Logan Ryan if they're expecting to keep Dory Jackson around for a few more years. But, yeah, it's a really tough – Borderline decision there. And again, the next guy coming up, who knows where he's going to be, who's going to be making this decision by the end of the week, or what team he's going to be on. O.J. Howard, a guy who's come up for trade talks. And then we hear most recently Jason Leck saying uh, we want to keep him around. So what on earth is going to happen with O.J. Howard? Yeah, I think they would trade O.J. Howard if they felt like they got good value for him, but they haven't. They haven't liked any kind of offers that anybody's made um so they, they keep him. They can they can keep him and, and use him and Rob Gronkowski together. There's no reason not to be deep in, in huge athletic tight end. I mean that, that sounds like a bad that doesn't sound like a bad way to go. So um and and the number, you know, the tight end option number is, is like probably eight and a half million or so for, for this range in the in the round. So that's not a high cost. It's not a number that's gonna keep teams from trading for him. So right. I, I would say you pick it up and continue to to look at all your options and maybe if New England's desperate down the road, you know, et cetera, you might be able to get something more for them than you could before the draft. But I, mm-hmm. I think they'll, I think they'll hold on to this pick and, and they'll, uh, and they'll pick up the option. And, but that doesn't, you're right. It doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to be on even this year's team, let alone next year's because uh, they have some depth at the position now, obviously. And, um, and, uh, and they'd like to see how it goes with that. But, you know, Gronkowski may be a one and done guy. Who knows? We, you know, he just retired last right. offseason so hard to predict so you may need oj howard going forward for 2021 and beyond absolutely another tight end who's coming up uh some injury issues here but a talented player what about evan ingram with the giants yeah you know this is the last first round pick under jerry reese right uh dave gettleman has not fallen in love with a lot of jerry Reese's <laughs> picks. <laughs> it's fair <Yeah>. to say <laughs> um, so you know but um and the health issue is one here, right? Ingram has had a hard time staying on the field. Just like we talked about, it may not be as severe as John Ross, but a similar situation in terms of can you trust him to stay healthy? What he has going for him is they want to, you know, keep Daniel Jones happy and productive. He obviously can make plays in the passing game to an extent that a lot of people can't at his position. Very athletic, very dynamic player when he does play. And again, that tight end number is not – big. It, I mean, you're looking at, like I said, if you pick up an eight and a half or so million dollar option on Evan Ingram for 2021 and he continues to have injury issues, is that going to crush you? Right? I mean, like, it's not necessarily no. the end of the world. So I would say in spite of Gettleman's record of just ridding himself of every Jerry Reese pick every chance he gets, I think this guy has a chance to get the option picked up and um, and that's where I would lean. Another Giants player who comes to mind, a player who was acquired, of course, in the Odell Beckham trade is Jabril Peppers. Yeah. Do you think he's going to get his option picked up? I do, because, man, 
they traded Odell Beckham for him. And then when they got him, it's like, well, we got multiple first round picks for Odell because the real peppers is the equivalent of a first round pick. He's that kind of player, et cetera, et cetera. To, to decline that option a year after making those claims would be a pretty bad look, I think, for the Giants. Plus, I mean, he's a good player. They, they, you know, the safety number, much like the tight end number, not very high. Uh, so I think it makes sense for them to pick up uh, Pepper's option because uh, if not, um, they're getting two years out of him after trading one of the best players in the league for him. Yeah, I think that comes to mind as sort of wanting to justify a trade. And the last guy yeah. sort of fits a similar circumstance, not the same sort of trade, but – Bill O'Brien has certainly taken his fair share of criticism for some of the deals he's made. He's sent a third-round pick to the Raiders for Gary and Conley. If he play, inconsistent play, but a team that does need cornerbacks, do you think they pick up his fifth-year option? I think probably not. I mean, it was a third-round pick that they traded, so not the end of the world if he's, mm-hmm. you know, a year and a half for them. And I think they view they, they like him. He played well for them. They're, they're, they're happy with him as a player, but I think they see him as kind of a – you know, a short-term stopgap. And I think this time next year, they're going to want to be looking at options at that position. And if he has played well enough that he is one of them, then great. But I don't know that they necessarily want to hang a a cornerback option number on him. You know, you're talking about like $11 million, maybe. Um, It seems a little high given what the guy's accomplished so far in his career. So it doesn't seem like his play to this point has justified a fifth-year option. Hard to predict O'Brien, obviously, uh, but um, I think I would say probably not here. I think he's a guy they like, but they will uh, assess his value at the end of this year, along with other options. At the- mm-hmm. Makes total sense. Well, Dan, you are not under contract to the Bill Barnwell show, but we would happily pick up your fifth year option. You always do great work when you come on. And of course, you know, not a lot to talk about right now in, in the post-draft circumstances, but I mentioned you're writing uh, a, a column about these fifth-year options for us at ESPN. Where can people yell at you if they want to yell at you about what you said here or about that column this week? Um, Dan Graziano, ESPN, on Twitter and Instagram. So that's how people can get at me and um, should be on TV on Tuesday, get up and NFL Live and all that. So I'll be around covering whatever needs to be covered here as we head into what would be a slow time of year anyway. Especially slow this time of year, but we're very grateful mm-hmm. to have you on and talk about stuff. And I'm sure as we try and find stuff to discuss, we'll have you back on the Bill Barnwell show later on during the summer to talk about more football stuff, maybe some baseball stuff. You know, we'll get to the baseball part of your mm. career as well. Um, good. But it's always a pleasure to have you on, sir. Pleasure's mine, Bill. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks so much again to my guest, ESPN's Dan Graziano. I know not a lot of football to discuss in the weeks to come, but we're still going to talk about more football stuff. Maybe we'll get to another sport or two here or there, depending on what's happening. But thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for you know checking out the show as we've hit, hit a very strange sort of you know uh, couple-month period. Hope everyone out there is healthy and happy and hanging in there. And we will be back to distract you with more audio next week. So thanks so much for listening.